What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Mentors Collective on Entrepreneurship. As you know, I bring you the best guests to talk about things that I'm not an expert in. On this episode, I've got someone really special for you. He's a serial entrepreneur. He's dabbled in real estate, business coaching, and he's got a lot of exciting stuff going on. He's got a, he's got a really long list of golden nuggets for you this episode. I, I spent a few minutes chatting with him. I think you're going to have a lot of value in this episode. Josh Steinberg, thank you for coming on the show with me. Pleasure, Jay. No worries. Thank you for having me. So we just had a really good chat uh, pre-show about some of the awesome things that you've got going on. I really want to pick your brain about real estate investing because I know you started from scratch. You started not knowing anything and now you've got this massive portfolio. So we're definitely going to talk about that. But first, this show is a lot of aspiring entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs who are just kind of starting. So just briefly, I would love to hear about your journey. I think hearing the journey of other entrepreneurs, how they started and what they've got their hands in is super helpful for people. So go ahead and give us your story. Awesome, man. Starting out, I didn't come from a silver spoon or a gold spoon or anything like that. I wasn't you know, hard up or, or bad off. My, my parents, uh, my mom was a stay-at-home mom. My dad was a, a carpet installer. So super blue collar you know, working class uh, a family, didn't have what you would call any kind of uh, investment background, obviously. It was severely paycheck to paycheck, et cetera. So my journey really started uh, fresh out of high school. I really got delved straight into sales and, and learned everything about that. And I think something that really helps uh, helped me in my, my journey in business was the fact that I spent years going door to door before I ever ventured into being an entrepreneur. So I had my teeth kicked into me. I had two trillion people that told me no, no matter what. So that you know allowed me to level up everything that I had going on at, at what you don't really realize is your key components to business to then understanding you know down the road in my steps and my process. Now I look back and I go, wow, that's really what, what locked me into to being as successful as we have so far. So I got lucky in, in, in my circle that I was able to get into a decently paying job that allowed me to stack and squirrel away some nuts. And uh, you know, obviously when we start getting into investments and, and real estate and things like that, first thing that everybody asks is, you know, where do you go? Is it cash? Is it, you know, do I have to find a property? How do I put all the whole deals and parts pieces together? So in the process of my journey in, in everything sales related, actually Grant Cardone was somebody that was very influential in my life back then. Grant didn't have $2 billion worth of real estate at that time. He was a sales guru guy. So as he tra started transitioning into real estate, he started putting out tons of free content out onto YouTube and everything like that. And so really digesting everything that he had for free. So everything that I learned in real estate, how to buy property, where to find people that had property. When I started buying real estate, I never used a dollar of my own money. So I never had any cash invested into it. So how to, how to do that whole process literally was, was acquired through the information that I got on YouTube and Facebook, Instagram, from people like Grant and then local guys that were big that were killing in the market here through you know real estate groups and things like that, meetups and, and really learning to network with people locally. Gotcha. So you had a pretty decent paying job after you had already kind of gained some experience in sales door to door, hearing no, kind of building up that fortitude that it takes to go ahead and start your own thing and start your own business. So you put away yeah. some money and then you kind of sought out this information on real estate investing on your own and never bought an online course or anything like that. No, no. Yeah. So I never had any kind of online courses. No, you know, when I started into the, this journey about eight years ago, it was probably when a lot of the coaching products and programs and things really kind of started getting going. So yeah. back then it wasn't like a, a normal thing to, you know, just, Hey, pay me a hundred bucks a month or a year or whatever. And you get all this information. People were just 
flooding the market with it, mostly for free, which is all the information still out there, you know, like I said, through, through third-party programs and things. So it's obviously faster and more specific. If you have somebody that you follow that's a coach, that's going to do it with 50 people. You can ask specific questions, get specific answers, as opposed to screening through hours and hours of, you know, content and things like that. But, yeah. you know, there's, there's value in, in, on both sides of it. Somebody that's going to go into a group, you ultimately want to be able to add value to that group too. So I always tell people to go and get all as much content as you can get from, you know, the internet for free, understand everything so that you can ask impactful questions that are going to actually give you, you know, movement that are going to actually move the needle opposed to just beginner level surface level stuff that is out there. So literally Googleable that it makes people, you know, unfortunately the guys that are mentoring, you know, people that are moving up a lot of what it sounds like your audience is really going to vibe with. You don't want to ask what, you know, what you would think is a dumb question. <laughs> Yeah, all I couldn't, couldn't agree with that more. Kind of, and that's kind of how I learned as well. I, everything that I learned about marketing, about PR, I learned for free from mentors and from online resources. And all of that information is out there. It might not be packaged as pretty as a lot of people might put it into a $10,000 online course, but it's there if you know how to look for it. And the other thing that you said, being able to ask impactful questions is super important because you could hand somebody all of the information packaged nicely, they're still going to have questions. And yeah. being able to have someone to give you the right answer to those questions is super valuable. Let's go ahead and jump right into real estate investing. You said that you started with none of your own money invested. Can you tell me a little bit about how you got the ball rolling, starting from nothing? Absolutely. So, you know, one of my big things uh, in my come up and process uh, of everything was, like I said, I had, I had worked through multiple different levels as management, as as jobs go, right? So nine to five, I'm trading my time for money. And fortunately, a lot of the people that I was looking up and looking into real estate and all the things like that, the reason I wanted to get into real estate is because I wanted to not trade my time for money anymore. I wanted to have money be invested into my bank account or, or ultimately be attracted to me so that then I could buy more time and spend it with my family. And so this is, you know, one of those that kind of becomes a really a double-edged sword because to be honest, it went about five years. I didn't see my kids, my wife, nothing. Went straight into, you know, grind mode. The carrot was dangling out there. And it was almost like every year we buy a bigger house and a new car and a thing. So every time I was like, well, once we hit this, you know, financial level, we'll totally scale it back and I'll retire. You know, goal was to retire at 35. Here I am, you know, a year out of 35. I'm pseudo retired at the moment. Um, we just moved to Kansas City. So, you know, that's really awesome on kind of our process. So it's, it's, it's a catch 22 on the dig deep and grind. So buying without uh, any, any money. So I didn't have any cash back then, right? So the initial process for me in getting into real estate was so that, you know, so that we could retire early, need to have that cash. We don't have any cash. What do we do? So we focus really heavily into tons and tons and tons of local Facebook groups that had 30, 40, 50 people that did a happy hour. And a lot of it started out as local realtors. So a lot of realtors, you know, young realtors get in, they want to get in the game. Unfortunately, young realtors don't usually have a, a crazy income up since they just start selling properties but they get into the selling properties to learn more information about investing in real estate that ultimately allows them to be close enough to some of these bigger deals. So a lot of guys will, will start these groups and have the, a bunch of young uh, entrepreneurial minded realtors come to it that have information on big deals, but don't have capital, don't know how to do the deal, don't know, you know, you know all the moving pieces. So you usually have two or three key guys that, that'll be brought into these networking groups and you can kind of go in and kind of pick their brains. So as long as you, you know, ultimately anything in real estate for me, what I've learned in the, in the years is you got two different options in order to buy it. You've got most of the time transactions are happening right now in the investment side are going to be either you bring the money or you bring the deal. Very rarely 
are we having, you've, you, you got guys that have a boatload of cash that are sitting down buying, finding their deals, acquiring their deals, writing the deal and, and doing the entire process. At that point they have employees. So at the, at the interim in between hundreds of millions of dollars where you're a business and you have your own employees, you got a lot of networking that occurs. Yeah. And so getting in tight with the guys that have the money and have done the deals, all the things like that, if you can find a way to find and acquire, you know, hey, I got a deal you want to look at and, and, and kind of working your way through it, they'll kind of, they'll, they'll key you into it. And what I found was uh, for me, my first handful of deals was that we were able to work deals out where I, I went out and we acquired the deal. I had a, a, a manage and own a construction company in Cleveland. So my value proposition was I'll do all the remodeling, all the, all the work that has to be done to the property uh, at cost. And uh, in exchange for it, I just want equity. So you don't have to pay me anything. You pay me out of the, the closing funds when we refinance the property. So I'm going to put all the cash up front, you know, doing all the work and things, carry it for eight months, 12 months, 18 months, depending on, you know, how long it was supposed to take. And then once the property was able to be refinanced, I'd get all my capital that I had to put in for materials and things paid back and my labor costs at, at cost, but then I would also maintain my equity. So anything above there, if we, you know, it was a million dollar profit that we had there on the refi proceeds, I'd get 35% above and beyond what my cost, you know, basis was into the deal. And so my first two or three deals, we did just like that. Now, obviously I, I came in a situation where being able to do the work myself, I was able to put a lot of sweat, sweat equity with my staff and my employees into it. I have a bunch of deals that we did where the, the realtor that brought the deal into the group that, you know, ultimately this is where we network, right? So the realtor comes in, totally has no idea, has no credit, has no cash, has nothing. He's just like, I got a deal. So I was in, in all these groups is basically just a contractor guy looking for roofers or side, you know, whatever they had that they needed to be done on these properties that people were buying. And then it turned me into, okay, cool. So instead of me trading my time for your cash, let me get a bigger piece of that and you can delay my instant payment. So it makes you happy because you're not having to front me money. The bank is excited because everything looks on paper a lot better and juicier up front. And then we can roll all that money into the tax-free back end of it. Gotcha. So interesting model. You are definitely uh, coming at this from a pretty unique angle, being able to do the remodeling yourself. Now, yeah. what about options for people who maybe can't contribute in that way? Finding yeah. <laughs> somebody who's coming at it like me, like I'm not going to go do any remodeling. I know nothing about remodeling. I've got some money. I don't have, you know, a million dollars sitting around to buy a house. What are the options there? Is it financing through a bank? Can you still crowdsource money from the rich folk in the Facebook groups? What would a, a more general approach be? So 100%. So the, the process is exactly the same. And so what happens then is if you're the other guy, you get a smaller slice of the pie, but you have no capital put up front and you have very little bit of time. So you have to either bring the deal or you have to fund the deal. There's two sides of the coin. So yep. if you're the new guy that's just getting in, you scour LoopNet, you make 2,000 offers on properties. You see, so you, you learn all the information through YouTube pages, et cetera, on how, how and what the underwriting you want to have. So my underwriting criteria for everything, we love to hear the number 10%, right? So ballpark numbers, if I get 10%, I can find somebody to sell this property to fairly quickly or bring it to somebody that's going to find a way to value add and make it worth even more. So if that's the case, it's a juicy deal. If you have a juicy deal, it's fairly easy to find somebody that's going to be able to take in one, you know, a networking group like that and go, Hey, I got a deal. I got this property. It looks like this. Here's what I think ballpark numbers would be put into it would be, et cetera. So really square one is learning how to underwrite property. And there's so much information on that out there. I could talk to you for six hours and do whiteboards and all the things on that, which is all, you know, fun and boring at the same time. So, but hundred percent for me was I spent probably the better part of a year watching literally YouTube videos, of Grant Cardone on a whiteboard in thousands of deals he underwrote on just free time all the time. Bring the deal, talk about the deal on his little, his, his, you know, his, his thing, 
And he turns around on the whiteboard, scribbles it all down. Okay, here's what it is. Here's what it is. I like that deal. I don't like that deal. Here's why. Here's why not. So finding somebody that's very successful in that space. Now we can do the same thing by finding somebody locally that's in a you know real estate market that's specific to you to say, hey, what's this market specifically do I want to look at? And what are the criteria that you know people are out here buying into where I can then go back and start scouring the internet for stuff and, uh, and finding it. Option number two with that would be to start calling first for rent signs. So once you understand how to underwrite a property like that, you start calling you know, properties that are available for rent. If they're for rent, they have vacancy. If they have vacancy, it's a possibility that they have half the properties vacant and the landlord is just over, wants to get out. So if that's the case, you call the for rent sign and say, hey, I might be interested in buying your property and open up that line of conversation. You do that 100 times a week. Eventually, at some point throughout the end of the week, you're going to have an opportunity where you have two or three you know, owners that are at least saying, I'm open to selling, make me an offer, here's some information, scribble it all down on a notepad, take it to one of these networking events and talk to people. I love it. Uh, so I guess I, I like breaking things down into steps. So for someone looking to get into real estate investing, watch a ton of videos and learn how to underwrite properties. I guess oh. at first is learn the business. Number yeah. two is figure out how you're going to fund the, the investment, whether that be taking out a mortgage or finding somebody to help you handle that payment? Eh, let's assume that the, the funding thing is down the line a little bit. So up front here at step two, you're going to say either you have the money to fund the deal yourself or you don't. If you have the money to fund yourself, you don't even have to go and scour the business, know anything about it. Go to the meeting, yep. say, I have cash. Who's got deals that needs cash? They will come out of the woodwork. So assuming most people that are starting out that, are, that we're talking to right now are going to be the guy that's got no money, right? So he doesn't want to do it out of his own pocket. So assume that the end of the rainbow has got the cash. That's the last step. The bank's going to fund the deal no matter what. Everybody's scared to death if there's vacancy. I'll buy a property tomorrow that's got not one renter in it. As long as under the performa, et cetera, et cetera, a bank's going to write me a loan. Freddie or Fannie is going to insure it down the line. Ultimately, we want to see it be worth a million bucks so that it's, it's easy to flip it to a federally insured loan. So step one is going to be learning the business. Find out all the ins and outs through the meetings, all the stuff. You're going to want to spend some time and underwrite hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of deals. Outside of that, feel free to go bang on some doors with a broker. Call a guy up. Hey, I'm I want to go look at this property and walk properties to be able to get comfortable in knowing what you're staring at and whether or not you're ever going to make a deal. I walk probably at least, I probably walked at least a hundred properties by myself that had zero clue what the hell I was looking I kind of understood how to underwrite it. I had no idea what long-term it was going to take me to fill it with tenants or any of the, any of the backend business stuff of it, but I got familiar with staring at it. So then you know the products really well. So you can walk through, if you walk through a hundred properties and all of a sudden you walk through one that doesn't look like all the rest, it's in that much better condition. You and your head are automatically gonna be like, ooh, this one might actually be something that's good. And at that point, now you have a value proposition to talk to somebody. So if it's still price wise, you, you kind of understand a little bit of underwriting. Now you know that you get that one deal. Now you can take it to somebody and say, hey man, I've looked at 101 properties. 100 of them were turds, man. They were covered in rats and tenants that were horrible. This one had a lot of the same stuff. You know, it's not going to be a diamond in the rough, but it didn't have, you know, all the water tanks were, were replaced in the last couple of years and, and the tenants there were really clean. And it seems like they probably pay their rent, you know, something that was a little bit out of the ordinary that's moving in the good way to where you would say, Hey, this would actually be something I would want to buy. So where you can start to identify that property as the one that you want to do, no matter what you do, you're going to look at hundred properties to buy one every day, no matter which way you go down the road. Eventually it doesn't matter. People are going to email you 2 trillion properties. You're going to have to look at all of them, stare at the numbers. You know, at the end of the day, you want to be able to know what you're looking at. And the only way to do that is to touch and feel it. So 
So first one you wanna do is get online, understand what all the parts pieces are. Second one you wanna do is then start to go and look and touch and feel the properties. We don't wanna do it right away and you know waste a broker's time completely, you know. but eventually at some point here, you kinda of get comfortable with the numbers to where you can say, all right, now I think I wanna go and see these and I'm serious about actually buying something to where you know, hey, if I find the one, I'm gonna get this deal done, the broker's gonna get paid. That's all that it requires. And then, you know, once, then step three, after you find a property that seems, you know, it doesn't smell bad and it, you, you know, you like the way that all the things are put together, put it to the internet. So in that process, so step one is going out and getting all the information. At step one, you should be entering all the local Facebook groups. You should be making friend requests to everybody that does multifamily or flips or rentals or whatever real estate product that you're looking at doing in your local market. All that information's out there. Once you pick like a, a bigger guy-ish, It'll, it'll sort down through their friends list of the people that are doing it and you'll see kind of the moving movers and shakers. Go to a couple of those, you know, those events, the networking events that they'll, they'll all be talking about in their, on their Facebook page. I'm going out Friday, six o'clock. It's at, you know, Bonefish Grill at the bar, six to nine. It's happy hour drinks and we're all going to talk real estate, et cetera. So really getting comfortable in like those circles that everybody talks about everything, everybody shares everything. You know, the one, the one thing that's, that's shown real true to me and in, in my my journey throughout all of all the businesses that my wife and I have built is that the more that you have genuinely that you know what you're talking about, the more you want to give. So everybody's super scared and you know they're like, oh are you approachable? Like I go out to to dinner and I, we drive we take Lamborghini for instance. I have like a Valeo come out and there'll be a group like whose is that? And I'll hand the keys to the Valeo. Like, it's his, I don't know, it's not mine. People are so scared in, initially to to approach people. And there's a way, let's be honest, <laughs> all right? We don't want any, like, any creepy stuff happening. But, you know, at the same point, you know, hey, I got a question about this or that, you know, send a Facebook or an Instagram message. You'd be surprised at how many people actually get that or it'll get filtered back to them. Obviously, how you and I ended up being, you know, associated here and, and getting on the podcast. Yeah, exactly. And anytime someone asks me a question via DM on Instagram, if it's a meaningful question, I'll answer them. You know, there's never someone that I'll blow by. And I, I love giving back. And the more you learn, just like you said, the more you do want to give back and, and contribute. So that's awesome. Jumping back into real estate, we spoke a little bit about the steps. Now, you, you mentioned multifamily, single family. For someone who's starting out and thinking about investing their money into real estate, what's a good place to start? Uh, really, it, it's a personal preference and depending on the market that you're in and what products are there. So it's a catch-22 because everybody always wants to start it with their, you know, dip a toe. I only want to do a deal. I want a single family. I did technically, I guess, have single family first because as I gained my own financial stability, I, as we bought new houses, instead of selling the house that I moved from, I would always just, I, I'd refi it into like a 15 year and put a tenant in it. I never made a dollar on those deals because my refi, my, my mortgage and all the stuff, my rent literally was like dollar for dollar. But in my head, it was like, well, in 12 and a half years, I'll have that property for free. And who cares what it costs because the tenants pay it and it's out of sight, out of mind. So either I refi it or, you know, we sell it and throw it in the garbage or I keep it and pretend like it's not there. And eventually it's worth some money. So I did start that way, but it wasn't, you know, a sourced out like a single family rental. My actual, like my focus was always 30 units and above is my first. Underwriting is the same. Bank financing is the same. Actually, bank financing is easier over a million dollars. Once a property is valued at a million dollars and above, it's a thousand times easier to actually get a bank to lend on it. A couple different criteria and differences as far as that goes, but as far as like credit and underwriting and things like that go to you personally, then it becomes a business and it's, it's viewed completely differently. So sometimes we get in a situation where a property is actually, my underwriting, I could probably buy it for $100,000 less than we do. 
we actually buy it for more than I want to buy it for simply because it's, it simplifies the underwriting process at the bank. Obviously that's, you know, advanced course level stuff. So, you know, eventually you'll, you'll have conversations with the banks, whoever's writing your loans, those are the ones that become your best friend. I probably have five to $10 million worth of deals with the guy that writes most of my commercial brokerage loans, just because we throw him equity on it. He rolls his closing fees into it, uses it as part of the down payment. And then obviously a lot of these are getting brought to the bank. So when you're asking the question about money, where do I get money? How do I get money? All the things like this, he's getting that question every day, but 10 times more because he's the bank guy. Yeah. A lot of people, not every single person that comes across the docket, obviously, has the, the, the fortitude to be able to get financing for that. And so by, by networking with those people, now you become the guy that's, you know, hey, I'm going to throw you a slice for it for, you know, you scratch my back, I scratch your back. And by greasing the wheels on every which way we go on it, now I get a phone call. Hey, I got a deal that a guy can't really perform on. What do you think we can throw him? You know, I've already done all the underwriting. The bank's your number one guy going to do your partnership on it because they want to make sure that they can get the loan done. So if the bank doesn't think it can get it done, they won't even call it. But the bank's like, this is a slam dunk, man. It's a home run. It's an awesome deal. You just can't perform. Okay, cool. So he brought the deal. So now we're back to square one, back to one, right? You bring the deal. So now we just treat him like he's the guy that brought me the deal. We throw a little bit extra on to the, the broker. Now the broker gets let in on the deal. Now he's getting more than just his brokerage fee because now he becomes an equity partner of mine for bringing me the deal. We throw the original guy back in the property, the deal. All I do is go, cool, I'll sign the loan. So, you know, the biggest key is most important thing I can, I can like beat to death is find people that are doing deals and get around them. Synergy is real and nobody does deals in this world by themselves. It's 100% getting to know people, knowing what people are doing and bouncing ideas off of people up, down and sideways. That's great advice. And absolutely, if you put yourself in a circle where everybody is talking about these things and doing these things, you're eventually not only going to learn a lot more than you would otherwise, but you'll get involved in these deals. And this is not it's, you know, something I got get, to get, get better at putting yourself in those circles and, and networking, which is kind of what we're doing now. So single family, you've done it, you've tried it over time. I guess when you actually cash out on the deal, that's, or cash out on the house, that's when you can make some money, but not much passive income to be seen there. Yeah. Single family is rough because at the end of the day, the mortgage is going to be most of it. You got one tenant in there. If the tenant leaves you have, and, and it sits vacant for two months, the mortgage payment on the two months offsets your entire year's worth of income. You know, over the years, unless you really get like buy crazy cheap, cheap and have all kinds of cheap money. And it's, it's, and then you're dealing with, you know, houses that are, you know, a $30,000 house at that point has got problems, right? It's an old house. Yeah. It's, it's a beat up bungalow. That's going to need a roof. It's going to need water tanks and hot water. And God forbid one of those things happen to go wrong. Now you have an issue with the property's vacant and you got to put a bunch of money into it. Now two or three years worth of income are gone because you know, you had it there. So single family, I don't mind. I prefer to buy a portfolio from an old guy that wants to retire. Somebody that bought, you know, two single families a, a year for 20 years. He's got 40 houses. He wants to dump them and move to the beach. Cool. I'm going to treat that like an apartment. It's 40, 40 in an apartment. It's not usually they're kind of similar in an area. The lending criteria and it gets different because they're different parcels and, and there's a ton of other moving parts to the actual deal. But as a whole, then I can look at and, and compartmentalize all of it as one big package. If you're going to start out and you're really into, into singles, the only real reason to do singles like that is usually to flip them. And this market right now is scary as hell to do anything in that aspect of it. I got a couple buddies that do scares the living hell out of me. Honestly, I don't flip. Um, I do lend to guys that do flip. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I, good news for me is it becomes, it's a, it's a heavily risk market. So the lending on my end to write notes on that, you know, if somebody's got cash and they're watching this, like, I don't really want to get into all this stuff. I don't, I don't want to deal with tenants or, or any of the other stuff that goes with investing like that. 
there's an option to physically lend. You find the same thing. You go to the same meetings and all the groups and things and people are bringing deals, all the stuff they need cash. So you're like, cool, I'll lend for 12%. It's backed by a mortgage. You already know that the house is bought for 30. You're giving them 42. It should be worth 90 as it is sitting today if you were to have to sell it, et cetera. If you wanted to flip it, finish a flip yourself. If the guy got in trouble, you got a lot of options there. Make sure you have proper documents. Everything's done by the attorneys. You have proper insurance. That's always an additional option to it. But for the grand, grand scheme of things, man, single families usually just, they, they don't make enough dollars to make sense unless you're buying multiples at, at the same time. Duplex, triplex, quad, your first one getting out, you know, get a, a, a duplex or a try and live in it so that it's paying for itself at the same time. You can get used to all the parts that go to that. That's not a horrible idea. That's actually what I was gonna do. I had a duplex all lined up. I had my lending lined up. I did my walkthrough. I was like, eh, it's my first walkthrough ever. I noticed that there was probably some problems. My inspector went in, who was a, a, a friend of a friend, and he was just like, don't buy this property. There was, <laughs> there was cockroaches. Yeah. Yeah. So you know what? It is what it is. I put a lot of time into it. And from there, I was just like, all right, I'll put real estate on the, on the, the side burner for a little while. But yeah, awesome. The, the duplex is what I was going to do. Ended up not working out, but one day, one day. Anything under four units is usually considered a, a, a personal property. So anything above four, four to six units is when they start to call it commercial loan. So somebody yeah. that has, you know, FHA, all the things like that, you have the ability to actually loan into a, a, a duplex try or a quad really kind of simply. So even the guys that are moving in their first or second home, a lot of times that's, it's usually a, a simple option. It doesn't require a ton of lending requirements. Yeah, it was pretty easy. I was gonna, I was planning on living in it. I didn't really want to, but I was going to, but the, the loan options are better is what you're saying. It's easier to get financing if you're going to live in a home that's less than four units. Yes. Four units or less is, is usually the same as if you bought any single family home. Doesn't matter what it is. They all treat them very much the same. They go on an appraisal process as opposed to a cash flow analysis, et cetera. So, you know, in theory, if you get four doors on there, two doors are going to cover your mortgage and your maintenance. It allows you to actually still have one door left outside of your own personal residence to, to you know, make some cash on. Um, and then obviously it's, it's personal loans that sticks with it forever you know, for the length of the loan. So, It'll allow you to refinance it under a personal context, get your cash out, and eventually maybe move out of there because you can have up to four separate loans, personal loans mm -hmm. at the same time, four separate individual mortgages. Huh. Um, so then you can, it, you know, you live in it for a year. It's under your personal mortgage and nothing changes, but then you move into your own home. Now you can rent out that unit, make more cash flow, and nothing has to change on that property. Very cool. I'm learning a ton about, about this right now. <laughs> Thank you. I do no want to problem. spend a couple of minutes talking about the real estate environment right now. We're actually looking to buy a house in South Florida and you know, if it's value for me, it's value for everyone. So what do you think is, is happening right now? Obviously interest rates are low. I don't think people are selling. What has it been like for you as a, as an owner? And what do you think is going to happen for people who are potentially investing right now? Right. So I can speak from different angles on this one. Cause I'm, I currently am selling two personal properties that I, I lived in this last couple of years. So my last single family that I, I lived in in Ohio is currently on the market. Hopefully is actually under contract should close in 52 days. I think are left on that. Thank God. It's been a nightmare on that side of it. But same thing, COVID. So all the things listed here, what's going to happen, what's not going to happen. You know, we can get top dollar. Then it's, Oh, there's not so many buyers, but there are buyers. Now the buyers are thinking that they have all the power. What I will say is that the market in, in the lending market and everything right now, we also just refinanced a, a $3 million loan 90 days ago, ago, just past 90 days. So right at the height of all the scariness, everything like that. And I'll tell you, walking into the closing room at, uh, for that, that Freddie loan, the bank said, yeah, we're going to take $300,000 of your loan and keep it. So 
$300,000 we thought we were going to take in, in the property with us, put it in our pockets, pay back investors with, et cetera. Freddie last minute said, because of COVID, people not going to pay rent because they had all the governors had just released all the halts and the holds on, on tenants having to, you know, yep. evictions and things like that. So now they're like, well, the banks are freaking out, right? Because banks are going, all right, if everybody doesn't have to pay rent, what happens when everybody starts defaulting on these loans? We're the ones that are holding the paper on these. Those guys are just going, oh, hey, it's going to screw my credit like everyone else in the country that's unemployed. All I can say is it's just like the stock market, it, the lending requirements are right now in such a, a whirlwind of, of crazy. So you definitely want to be working. What I, what I would tell anybody right now, if they're buying a personal home or investing, spend a little bit of extra time getting to know your broker uh, that's doing the loan. So whether that's your bank, whoever, and make sure they really, really, really know who they have. They have people they can call favors in from that are on the, all of the sides, the appraisals, the, through the title company, all of the things. Because when something pops up that it would trip up a normal loan, that's just going to have like a, you know, a guy, a broker go, I don't know what the hell to do with this. Somebody that sees and has people they can call favors into, you'd be surprised at how quickly they can, you know, move a, a loan two tenths of a point And all of a sudden the loan, you know, the deal makes sense again where it didn't make sense two seconds ago. So that's one of the biggest keys, uh, you know, with the, the craziness of everything going right now, COVID or not, you know, everybody just put a halt on the ability to potentially evict tenants through the first of the year. And so I don't expect that to happen. That moratorium is going to go away because somebody's going to end up getting sued in the event it becomes a major problem. So we're not too scared of it. I'm still collecting rent. 90% of what I was pre-COVID or better. Um, my tenants that aren't paying because they're claiming COVID would not pay me because they took a dump and, you know, fell off the toilet yesterday. It, it, they, would, they would have made up some other excuse. It wouldn't matter what it was. So COVID or not, they're just using the new flashy term that's on the news and why they're going to say it. People that pay their bills are going to pay their bills. So as long as you properly screen people, you make arrangements and you become open with your tenants. Obviously, I don't personally deal directly with my tenants, but all my, my guys on the ground, my feet on the street, all bang doors. We all put signs out, you know, everything is said. If you're going to have a problem, you're going to be short. Realize two things. We will evict your ass when I can legally. And when I do, I will come after you for your back rent because nobody said that your rent's forgiven. They just said that you don't have to pay it right the second and you can't be evicted and thrown out on the streets. It doesn't say anything that we're giving you free rent. And so when you explain that to people, a lot of times it makes it a little bit more you know, straightforward. Half the countries right now is making more money on unemployment than they did at their job at Wendy's. So my tenants actually are, are got a pay raise and then they think they're not going to pay me. Well, we have a problem with that. So once we explain that to them, they're like, oh, dude, no problem. You know, I thought I was going to be able to pay you uh, what I was making. And now I, I got 200 bucks a month more than I thought I was going to have when I got the lease. So yeah, no problem. We'll make sure, you know, every time I get that check from the government, every month, whenever, you know, as soon as it clears me, we're paying you and making arrangements. Sometimes we have to bump rent. So instead of collecting on the first or the seventh, we, we move it. And we, we have tenants that we shuffle the 14th. So, you know, anybody listening to this right now, real estate is the only safe avenue that anybody can go into because it's a tangible hard asset outside of gold and silver. So unless you're going to buy something that you can ultimately have, people are going to have to live under, under a roof at some point, no matter what doesn't matter what happens in the country, who's the president, who's not the president, what the stock market's doing, et cetera. People are going to have to have a place to live. And so, you know, this is why I, I got so deep and hard into real estate when I did was that, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's something that can't go away. Minus a, you know, a freak fire or tornadoes and, you know, all the things that happen like that. And, you know, with the Fed printing trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars right now, you know, a dollar becomes worth 50 cents. Well, in theory, if that happens, people are just raising my, the rent just goes up to offset it. So the only thing that will raise at the exact same, you know, pace is um, inflation 
is going to be, you know, in real estate rental property because they can fluidly, you know, within six months, just, yeah, it's another hundred bucks a, a unit. Yeah, that's so true. So right now, do you think now is a good time to buy or not a good time to buy? Obviously interest rates are low, but prices seem high and buyers are demanding prices that don't seem to exist. Our plan right now, and I just say this because I don't know if anyone else listening is going through the same thing, is we got have an election coming up, we have a pandemic, no one's being evicted. A lot can happen in the next few months that might trigger some changes. I don't know what those changes are gonna be or when they're gonna happen. Let me know your thoughts on that. Well, like you said, there's a lot of moving parts and, and a ton of, of fear. And so what all very successful people have told me is that when there's fear out there, high levels of fear, there are opportunities abundant. And so yes. there are people that are, that are not willing to sell right now that will be willing to sell tomorrow or in a week or three days or an hour, who knows? So what we say right now is that you need to be the expert and be persistent. And so there's always a deal going to be there, whether it's a high market, a low market, the market's going game busters and everybody thinks their property is worth twice what it's worth. Cool. Well, you wait till something in their personal life happens that they now have to dump the property one way or another. There are deals out there every day, no matter what, because there's fluid circumstances in personal life that supersede the economy, things that happen in the economy that supersede personal life, et cetera. So one side or the other, you just want to be out there. So like this comes from my door to door side It's just be the guy that's in their face, banging doors all the time in their face. Here I am, here I am, here I am. I, I want to buy your property. I'd love to, Oh, you want way too much money for it. It's not worth that. But then staying in contact with them all day long so that you can get to a point where it's a deal. If you always buy a dollar for 75 cents, you'll never go broke. I love that. It's always a good time to buy as long as you find the right deal. Absolutely. That's all really good stuff. Uh, you know, it's just to wrap this thing up. I would love to just hear a little bit about what you're currently working on as an entrepreneur. I know we just talked about something really interesting before the episode and then just leave us with any kind of pearls of advice for people who are struggling to build what you've built, get their own Lamborghini, uh, any fi final tidbits of wisdom for the audience. Absolutely, man. I appreciate it. Appreciate you having me on and, and let me, you know, kind of share my story with everything too. So, so my wife and I are working on a, on a new brand here that uh, we call My Wife Will Cut You just because for years and years and years and years, right? Being married to uh, to the same one we, we just celebrated this week. Actually, we're celebrating our 12-year uh, wedding anniversary. So, you know, you're at the pool and the girl looks at you funny. And you look over and the wife gives you that look. Look back. I'll cut her. Okay. So <laughs> that was where, where the, the idea and the process became as a thing and it's spitballed and all of the ridiculousness that, uh, that goes into an idea becoming a product and a product becoming a brand and then a brand becoming a, a product suite. So we're, we're really diving deep on, on the process of coaching uh, entrepreneurial couples or wives or husbands or both sides or one side or the other, because just like my marriage with her was uh, got to a point where it was very, very close to ending mostly because like we talked about through, you know, a little bit ago, uh, I spent five years where I wasn't home. I would come home. I'd be home within 10 minutes. I'd be asleep with my dinner laying on my, my lap. I get up at four o'clock in the morning, go to the gym at four 30 and I'm gone all day until eight o'clock at night, get home. Sometimes I kiss the kids and that's it. And so, you know, there's only so long that that, that can happen until, you know, you start to have the question of if you can't be home or, or, you know, we'd have things planned and I wouldn't be there. Why? Because I'd call her and say, Hey, I got a client, I got a customer. They, you know, they said they're available and they got it. They're ready to sign a contract. So which is more important, the contractor, us going to dinner tonight. Well, the contract at that time was most important because we were building a new business and a brand and all the things. So the business yes. needed an influx of cash, cash flow, cash is king. So I got to go do what I got to do in order to keep the business doing what it needs to do and flowing money to us so that we can live the life that we were living. What's came down to, you know, what I ended up finding out was, 
uh, not the fact that I missed the dinner. She understood that I wasn't there for dinner. But what it started to come into was a conversation that was really impactful to me and, and really finally got my head out of my own ass with it. And that was, if, my, if I have an appointment in my schedule with my customer and it's at six o'clock, I'm there at 548. I'm never late. And if I'm in two minutes late, I'm calling. Well, I would regularly say, yeah, my day is day. I'll be home at six and not show up till 8, 8, 15, 8, 30, because I'd stop and go to another client or go here or sign a contract and busy at the office and lose track of time. We'd have dinner plans and I would regularly have a phone call at two o'clock in the afternoon from a client that want, needed me to come to, hey, it's best tonight. Can you be here tonight at 630? I have dinner with my wife. Eh, I'd either push her back or move her around. And, and what ended up being was that she wasn't important enough in, our, in my life for me to hard schedule that as an appointment. So if it was another client, I wouldn't call the other client and say, hey, I got to move back our appointment. I got another customer to go meet. I would just tell the customer, I got another customer meeting at that time. I need to reschedule. Where are you available tomorrow, the next day, whenever else. And so what seemed as something that was super, super, super tiny and trivial to me was hugely impactful for her and I in our relationship. And when you start to delve in and look back in the, the process of building businesses, I can't do what I do without her. She was ultimately my COO. So she did all of our, our bookkeeping, all of the onboarding, hiring, firing, all of the house mom stuff at the, you know, at the company. And I never respected that process of her doing all of that. And then also still being wife where I did all of that. And as a husband, I just kind of negated my responsibilities and made my own excuse because it was cool to grind. It was cool to get up at four o'clock, come home at eight and then go on social media and say, dude, man, I got 16 hours in today get up at 4.30 and, you know, take a picture of the sunrise, you know, hey, all you, you guys are watching this right now are still asleep. I'm already in for two hours for the day. I did and, the same thing. <laughs> you know, 2019, 2020 became so cool for that to be the narrative for so many people. Now what's cool is that I get up at 10 o'clock in the morning and I, I have a smoke and a pancake and I hang out and I get on social media real quick. And I'm like, hey, I just woke up. You guys have been working for three hours of chumps. You're trying to get, you should be trying to get to this life, not continue to put you know, get to 23 and a half hours and sleep for 25 minutes for the day. The whole reason that we, we grind and we do that so long is so that we, we think it's cool. And then at the same point, it becomes kind of a, a dick measuring contest. And even for the chicks with the lady boners, you know, one way or another, you know, the grind thing is only so cool because it's a contest. It's, I, I'm the guy that's doing the most. You can't outdo me because I'm outdoing, outdoing, outdoing. Okay, cool. When I was that guy, I didn't drive a Lamborghini, right? I only got to the point where I could have cars and do all the things and, and go on trips and, and, and have lunch on the yacht with, you know, cool, cool people because I learned uh, a, a friend of mine, his name is Mark Evans. He's a big real estate guy. So anybody that's in here that listen to this right now, he's one of the guys for sure to, to take a look at and check into. Uh, he just, a book of his just came out. It's called um, From Mule to Magician or Magician to Mule, something, something to that effect. Find it. You'll see it. It's, it I can like it. If, if you conversation think it's is send it over. I'll link it. I'll send it over to you. It's definitely impactful for anybody that's getting into real estate. And so the conversation ultimately was about all of the grind and all the coolness that that is, where the reality is it's really cool to learn to be a magician, to take your time and make it 20 hours, but only working an hour a day, you know, multiplying your time opposed to adding your time and then getting paid for your time. So when we were, you know, we started talking about buying time or working, getting paid for my time at some point you can only, there's only 24 hours in a day. So, you have to sleep, you have to eat, you have to see your family. So there's only so many hours a day that you can get paid for, even if you're making tons of money by the hour. The only way that you really incrementally change that massively is when you start to figure out how to multiply that. And the only way you start to multiply that is by buying your time back to where you're getting the, the equivalent of, you know, 100 hours a day worth of work done in 
20 or 10 or eight or, you know, whatever physical impact that we have to do to, to get the business to move the needle. We want to be able to multiply that throughout all avenues that we have going on. Yes. I love that. And you can, I guess you can buy your time back in a few different ways. Yours is real estate. You probably have a team that helps you support the business. And I do the same thing. And that's, that's everyone's goal. Who's watching this thing is not trading your time for money. I've, I've played that life. Uh, I saw that life doctors who are making decent money, but absolutely miserable working, you know, 10 hours, six days a week, doing the same thing every single day. And until you're 60, 70 years old, and that's just no way to live. Really appreciate you coming on this episode. I know you do uh, couples business coaching. I hope to be a part of that one day once I find my power wife. And if, you're, <laughs> if she's out there listening to this, you know, I'm single. And there we go. Thank you so much for all of this. Let's definitely keep an open line of communication. I'm going to tag all of your social handles for anyone who wants to connect with you. But just so they know, what is your most responsive like medium? What's the best way to get in touch with you? So right now, the best way to get a hold of me is going to be through Instagram. I have a couple of VAs, but they ultimately forward me anything that's impactful. So anything that goes through the Instagram to, you know, tunnel, make sure that it's not weird and uh, <laughs> not surface level, right? Make sure you get the information. But uh, whether it's real estate, couples, whatever, you know, anything in business or life that you're going through, most likely I have crossed through that bridge. Um, you know, a lot of times people ask, you know, really successful people is like a super common question is like, what would you do if you lost it all tomorrow? I was that guy. I went from a $500,000 a year salary to losing all of my, my influx and was essentially fired three and a half years ago, built another company back to $10 million within eight months. So what would you do? How would you do it? All of that process to it. Um, been there, done that. And uh, like I said, even though I'm a young guy, when it comes to marriage and things like that, most likely through all of the things that we've done have accelerated through all of it. So feel free to send me messages. My VAs are really good about sending everything over to me. And, uh, you know, I, half of the time I just sit down on my phone, I'll respond to you guys. Anyway. You heard it, guys. Give Josh a follow. And if you're listening to this episode and you want to give it a share, take a screenshot, post it on Instagram, tag me and I'll get you a gift. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Mentors Collective. And Josh, you're the man. I appreciate it. You're a king and I look up to you and I hope to have you as a mentor going forward. So thank you, you for it, everything. Jay. Thank you. See you next time. Thank you so much for watching this episode of The Mentors Collective. This is Dr. Jay Feldman and I just wanted to take a moment to thank you so much for your support and also ask you for a little bit more. If you can take the next 10 seconds and write us a review on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify, just let me know your feedback. It means the world to me. Again, Thank you for watching. If you love this episode, please share it with your friends, share it with your family. Until next time.